a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I am Brian, and with me, as always, are my friends Liz and Matt. So, we were going to discuss a book tonight, um, but the book is far longer than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> it, it turns out, guys, 40 short stories is a lot of short stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, we will do that in the future. Uh, in the next episode or two, we will tackle that book. But uh, inspired by that book... Liz had a fun idea for a topic tonight. So, Liz, why don't you tell the listeners what your idea was? All right. So my idea was that we could come up with a few, perhaps three minor characters, situations that we would like to see expanded in some way, some story told um, you know, within the Star Wars realm, um, like the book we are currently reading. Yes, we are. Uh, for those that didn't hear last episode, we are currently reading um, the uh, the second installment of the From a Certain Point of View series, this one focusing on the Empire Strikes Back. And so, um, you know, depending how far each of us got in the book, the 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 um, the book kind of goes chronologically through the Empire Strikes Back and shows you like additional stories from scenes that you maybe have already seen or scenes that you know, take place off camera, but you sort of, you, you recognize the implications of those scenes. So anyway, it's, it's a really fun book so far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to put this caveat out there. We have not read every star Wars story. And so, <laughs> you know, if, if we say, you know, there should be a, uh, a story based on, you know, um, IG-88, and there's an entire novel series we're not aware of, we're sorry. This is just us talking about things we would like to see. Yeah, and I, I, I put a, a spin on some of mine. I am kind of covering mainly, like, the new Disney universe of Star Wars. Okay. Because um, I think there's a lot of interesting stories that when they're retold in this new context are very interesting. Hmm. Uh, a really good example of that is Tarkin. Not, not Tarkin, um, Thrawn. Okay. Like, there was EU Thrawn and ways that he played into the story, and then bringing him in, bringing some of the character traits into the new ones um, was interesting. So I, that's how I got over the idea in my head of everything's been done to death. Um, so that's where my list is coming from. Hmm. Okay. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we go like one at a time around the circle? Um, so that way, you know, we'll hear one from Liz, one from Matt, one from me, and then we'll sort of do that again. Um, and if we have any duplicates, we can always just talk about them. I have a couple of, uh, sort of, um, you know, bench players to use a baseball term in case we need another <laughs> one or two. So, uh, Liz, this was your baby. So why don't you start? Who's the character or scenario you'd like to dig deeper into? All right. So um, I, you know, I actually had, like you mentioned, I had a bit of after coming up with this idea, I had a bit of a challenging time because once I started doing some research, I realized how thoroughly the Star Wars universe is really fleshed out, <laughs> even with some of the new movies and the new characters. 
which was turned out to be a bit of a struggle. There were things I thought of and I was like, oh man, there's a book about them. Um, so I, something I did come up with was just I, the day Alderaan was destroyed, we get no information about anything at all going on on mm -hmm. Alderaan. Um, and it, it's such a large moment in Star Wars canon. Um, it's, you know, in the first Star Wars movie, it's sort of pivotal um, to what happens to get that gets the story going. Um, Bail Organa is, you know, on Alderaan at the time. Um, and it's just interesting to me that we don't, you know, in all of the Star Wars things that happen, it, there's no information, no regular person's point of view of what happens when Alderaan is destroyed by the Death Star. Though, when I was doing some research, apparently a Star Wars video game called Squadrons that just came out does cover <laughs> it briefly. <laughs> um, so, of course, there's something small. But it's just such a large piece of the Star Wars story. And, I, you know, it's just sort of told almost tangentially. Sure. Yeah, because that's a very, very huge moment. And um, I know, uh, Brian, you read the Alphabet Squadron. That kind of portrays that moment as sort of the turning point between the universe and the empire where some people realize the empire has gone too far. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about it. Um, so I would, yeah, seeing more about that would be really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think that one of the hard things about, like, and this is not necessarily a criticism from a certain point of view, but so many of these star Wars novels, you're telling a story that ultimately cannot change anything. You know, you're, you are reading the tale, you're reading an expansion of a tale you already know. But I think with mm -hmm. Alderaan, because the, because the fate of those characters was decided before we even met, like we didn't even know Princess Leia was on Alderaan, or it was from Alderaan, rather, until we were seeing it being destroyed, right? So there's mm -hmm. this, there's this um, even though you know how that story ends, Alderaan, when written about, is a very interesting culture. And I think there could be some really fascinating stories told there. So, yeah. yeah. Nice job, Liz. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Matt, what is your uh, what is your first choice here? I'm going to I, I was thinking whether I wanted to end with the weird one or start with the weird one. But I'll start with the weird one. Um, so. My what I want to see more explored more is more of an idea. Um, in Star Wars, just bear with me for it with this. Sure. So in Star Wars, um, the idea of like information storage and how their hardware works and how their computers work are a weird, archaic 1970s version of computerization. And as weird as it is, the idea of not having networked computers, not having reliable internet, not having really reliable ways of sharing information and communication is actually a huge piece of um, Star Wars and what makes a lot of the stories happen. The plans of the Death Service have to be physically handed off because it's such a large file that it can't be shared. To access that file, you need to physically go to a storage library, download the diskette that is part of a weird um, catacomb of information um, but just all of that stuff is just so weird and foreign. And I liked in that 
what drove this to me was um, in a certain point of view, they get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of like how the droids are made, how um, like what that robotery is. Um, so I would like to see something exploring that the idea of uh, the way data is stored and transferred in the Star Wars universe. Hmm. So, so you want like a tech guide to the Star Wars universe, <laughs> or or at least more story? See, I think um, Rogue One did a really good job of illuminating a lot of that. Um, again, it's the Star Wars feels like a World War Two movie where spies are handing off information in you know encoded letters because of the limitations of the Star Wars technology. And really, like, technology and the inability to send an email or an attachment really is the whole plot point of Rogue One, <laughs> is trying to send a really big email. Um, <laughs> and risk, risking your lives to do it because the file's too big for Gmail. So It, it reminds me of just Battlestar Galactica a little bit when you mention it that way. Just such a big part of that is how, you know, the old ships aren't networked together. And that's mm -hmm. why the Galactica survives. And that's just such a big part of that show. I never even thought of it in terms of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, just the way that hardware wires into it. And even at the end with the way that the, um, you know, Cylons are, you know, wired together. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's weird when you take sci-fi universes that began long before computerization. Um, like Star Wars is obviously one of them. Star Trek, I feel, was always a step ahead of its time. So it was really good at being able to predict where technology was going um, in a weird, almost Nostradamus way. Uh, but Star Wars was very much entrenched in old diskette style you know, server room programming type stuff um, yeah. and never really moved forward with it. Well, I think a big part of that is that George Lucas wears his influences so clearly on his sleeve and like old war serials were a huge part of his, his inspiration. And mm -hmm. so I feel like he was never trying to really, because again, he would also be the first to tell you this story doesn't take place in the future. It's a long time ago. That so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, even though, Clearly, there's a lot of futuristic tech in Star Wars. He was always quick to say it wasn't about, you know, predicting the future necessarily. It was about telling a story more than more than being accurate with technology. But I, I agree. I think it'll be very interesting to have a better understanding of sort of what the world of Star Wars is supposed to look like. Technologically-wise. Mm -hmm. technology, well, techno yeah. technology yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, for my first one, I actually paired up two characters. Ooh. Uh, this is a, a, a relationship that we hear about, but we never see these characters in the same place. And in fact, one of the characters we only see on screen for maybe 30 seconds, maybe more, maybe a little bit less. Um, and that is from The Last Jedi. I want a Maz Kanata and the Master Codebreaker story. Ooh. Because okay. she is, if you recall, she's hot to trot for the Master Codebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it implies that he can do many wonderful things in, in many situations. Um, and, uh, you know, A, he's played by Justin Thoreau, who's a hunk. Mm -hmm. So let's just let's acknowledge that. And mm -hmm. um, you know, he's great. And I think, like, Maz Kanata is slightly younger than Yoda, 
but she's been around forever. And so I think there's lots of interesting Maz Kanata stories, but specifically I feel like this story would give us insight into her life not as a part of the sort of fight against the Empire. Like she she talks in The Force Awakens about how like basically the only fight in the universe is the fight against the Empire, the dark side, whatever you're calling it today, right? But mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like the Master Codebreaker is a is a, a rebel or a freedom fighter, so she must have other other adventures. I mean, she basically owns a a cantina, right? So she mm-hmm. she's had this very interesting sort of other life outside of being a resistance hero. So I would like to see one of those stories, and I think that a good place to start with her would be a Maz Kanata Master Codebreaker adventure. Mm. I love that you use the phrase hot to trot. Oh, thank <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to be a little bit more PG than I sometimes am. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> she's horned up for him. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wound up going there anyway. So I picture like that, that, uh, that chapter out of nowhere in Queen's Shadow where you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so little Codebreaker time in the movie, which is surprising based on you know, I, it. It sort of bends your expectations when you first hear about him. Yeah, I mean, he he's sort of the MacGuffin for the for the um, what's that plan? Canto Bite. I was gonna. Uh, add, did Did you read the Canto Bite novel? Yes. Is he in that? Is, is Does he have a story in there? He does not have a story in there. Really? Yeah. You got to realize. I believe the Canto Bite novel came out right before the film did, and mm-hmm. so I don't think they wanted to give you any sense of who that person is. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. You know, it's one of those weird things where, depending if the book comes out right before the movie or right after the movie or a year after the movie, like how much that changes the sort of what they are willing to tell you in the in the book. Okay. Um. So yeah, Liz, what is your second uh, character? All right, well, my second character is the floating interrogation droid from A New Hope that, uh, you know, floats on in to interrogate Leia, Mm -hmm. Um, which I feel like is something that scared me as a child, um, but as an adult seems almost laughable. Um, I'm just always sort of been fascinated by, like, who built this droid? what mad scientist came up with this interrogation slash torture device. Mm-hmm. I always picture him as being someone like uh, Professor Farnsworth from uh, Futurama. <laughs> um, no. You can do um, more than one thing. Why can't it? <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> Though I don't know if something like that would work for, uh, you know, the empire, but we'll see. <laughs> and then even just sometimes I think about the comical nature, it moves so slow. So it was like Vader and his like, gaggle of minions walking down the hallway at the same pace as this floating interrogation device. <laughs> Looking at their watches, waiting for them to hurry up. Yeah. Yes. Like Spaceballs level. So, you know, it, it gets very little screen time, but it yeah. took up a lot of room in my mind when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah. Well, why does it float when it's it's needles or it's thing? I wouldn't want a hovering needle bot. I don't... Yes, it seems like they put a lot of effort into the floating part, which seemed vaguely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would also think it would have like a sheath for its needles, or like <laughs> nope. a trap door that would open and needles would come out of it, not like you know, 
Not just fully. <laughs> it's well, almost like if, if a swordsman just walked around waving his sword all the time, because eventually yeah. he'll need to, you know. But, that, but, but that's the Empire's like thing is that they have no sense of safety. That that's something they didn't make the list is like the OSHA laws in Star Wars. <laughs> there is not a handrail anywhere in an Imperial ship. There are just random walkways. I was I taking a sip of a Dr. Pepper when you said OSHA laws <laughs> in Star Wars and almost spit it all over my $400 microphone. So, <laughs> But, like, it's wild. Like, how, how do you have the Death Star where you have weird no handrails platforms that just go away from door to door where you need to, you know, swing like Indiana Jones between them? It, like, that, that's not a design feature of anything. <laughs> yeah. Poor design. Not Farnsworth is in there just designing <laughs> cord lanes, I guess. <laughs> I, I will say the best moment in the sun for that droid, again, to call back a book we read, was in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Mm. When Leia is distinctly True. traumatized by that droid and by that experience. And we see her um, shut down mentally and emotionally at the thought of, again, being interrogated by the Empire. You're right. Uh, luckily, that book got thrown out, so <laughs> it just remains a weird, like, ping-pong ball with needles on it. Yeah, it's it's the only time, you know, it, she doesn't really show much uh, grief after Alderaan is destroyed or after the torture, <laughs> but... Yeah, real resilient. Yes. <laughs> well, Matt, what is your second uh, character or setting? My sec Mine is... Um, uh, a setting this time, uh, but Mon Calmari. It's ah. a place that we see only, not only, well, I, as far as I've consumed media um, in the Clone Wars. It's a very interesting political dynamic between the Mon Calmari and the, I don't, the space illithids. Um, I forget the name of that race. Um, but it's again part of the, it's a big piece of the Republic, but when the Republic falls and the rebellion begins, Mon Kamari exists as this kind of place of open rebellion. We see, um, obviously, General Radis and... Um, oh, why can't I remember the other one? The uh, It's a trap. Oh, um, Akbar. The Akbar. Like, we see them um, as major pieces of the... Uh, rebellion, uh, their flagships really are the um, centerpiece of the uh, rebellion navy, but we don't really see much about them. They seem kind of this like weird unsung heroes. Um, I mean, probably because they're weird amphibian people and not, you know, beautiful A list actors. <laughs> so that has something to do with it in the original films. Um, but it's just a really interesting um, center of the rebellion that we don't really find anything out about at all. Um, and I would love to see some more background of them to see them during this time frame to see the struggle of standing up and being one of the few um, worlds in kind of open rebellion to the Empire. Um, so th I think that that that's something I would like to see more of. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, 
again, it's been a while since I've watched all of the Clone Wars. I've been watching, you know, episodes here and there while Liz is catching up. But what are there? Maybe half a dozen episodes that we see that bring us to Moncala? Yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's in season four or five. It's one of the one of the seasons broken up into like four big arcs. Yeah. So you essentially have for better or worse, a you know Clone Wars movie of it, but that's mm-hmm. that's it really. Yeah, it's not it's not a big piece of it. Yeah, I remember we talked about it briefly um, when we when we got to that point in the Clone Wars and how it was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I'll piggyback off of that and I will choose a location for my second uh, idea here, which is I want to um, have more time. In the Cloud City. Mm. Uh, specifically, I want something that is maybe um, narrated by or featuring Lobot, which is uh, oh. Lando's robotic companion that we see in The Empire Strikes Back. And I know like in the Lando comic that came out a couple of years ago, Lobot was, it was a major part of that. And so I'm sure that there are Lobot stories. And I have not finished from a certain point of view yet, so maybe there is a Lobot tale in there. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think that in general, um, there is something so striking about the visuals of both Lobot and and just in. I, I feel like Empire Strikes Back is so great because there there like there's only really three settings that aren't a ship in that film. There's Hoth, mm-hmm. there's Dagobah, and then there's the Cloud City. Um, that's that's pretty much it. And each of those is totally different than mm-hmm. anything that we saw anywhere else in the uh, in the trilogy up to that point, you know. And I don't know if the rest of Bespin looks like the Cloud City, or if Bespin is like this planet that has multiple things, and we're just we are just seeing one small part of it. But I love the design of the sort of ships of Vespin. I mm-hmm. love the the way that the city is kind of it almost looks like a um like cities floating on top of an ocean but it's in the sky. It just I think there's a lot going on there. I also think it's really interesting that we see Lando as this like gambler and then he suddenly goes legit and becomes the mayor of this major metropolis. Mm-hmm. What sort of a city would let this sort of like uh, gambler slash coxman just take it over. And so I, I think that there's a lot of interesting things to be said about the politics of uh, of that city as well. So that would be, I think, a really interesting place to spend some time. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, for I would love it to be something visual in nature because yeah. honestly that – it's one of the most standout moments in my memory of like watching the films as a child. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'll, I even go down a limb and say one of the best um, additions in George Lucas's, you know, revising of the original films was the added layers of depth and color to the city. Yes. It just is the most vibrant and different um setting we have in star wars and i love it yeah i'd like to see some more uh freeze chamber stories as well see what goes on there probably just boring mm-hmm. stuff but you yeah know. 
Yeah. <laughs> Life of an Ugnaught. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's do this. Before we get to our final um, topic each, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll round out our, our last three. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back. So Liz, what is your final uh, story or character you would like to see focused on? All right. So my last is um, a pair of two characters. I'm usually pretty character-heavy, I feel like, but not this time. And... um. I picked uh, Rose and Paige Tico. Mm. Um, as, as I was doing research, I, I found there is um, a book about them, which I have not read. Um, but they are, despite that, I felt like I still had to mention that they are two characters. I would like to know more about um, their life before um, we see Paige in The Last Jedi. Um, it, it's obvious that they were very close um, and just, you know, how that relationship developed and, you know, Rose is such a strong character and I think it would be interesting to see what her sister is like and how they interact with one another. Um, I, I just really, that's something I would really like to see. I, I'm excited to hear. Yeah. There's a, there's a book about that. That's awesome. Yeah. She, she is such a strong character unless JJ Abrams well, is going to uh, have anything to do with this. Listen, yeah. they had to cut her out. There was a lot to do with Leia. And then you just, you know, have to throw out the other storylines. And I feel like Rose got sold short in the end. So, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. As one of the <laughs> one of the very few people that you can relate with on screen in the Star Wars franchise. In it, because in, in a in a super fantastic, you know, space Western there, she's one of the few human characters. I think she fills a lot of, for me, the same role that Lando filled where you felt for him when he got duped by Vader. You were like, Oh, that could have been me. Um, you see Rose grieving. You see her trying to do her best to, you know, carry on the legacy of the family and, you can kind of relate to that in ways you can't necessarily relate to being a space wizard. So, yeah, <laughs> I would love to see more of that. Star Wars also has a real problem developing both characters of color and female characters. And so the fact that she is an Asian female character, an Asian actress cast in Star Wars should not be of note in 2020, but it still is because Lucasfilm <laughs> has been pretty bad about that sort of stuff. And so to have a character that represents a large swath of people out there to give them a character to root for. Um, We've talked in the past on this show about how representation absolutely matters in Star Wars and how, like, I I know I I don't want to put words in uh, in Liz's mouth here, but 
I, I have a lot of people in my life, a lot of women who loved Star Wars but didn't really love other sci-fi fantasy stuff because there was Leia, because there was this strong female character for them to to grab onto. And when you're a little kid, especially representation is huge. And so I think that there's a whole generation of kids who probably fell in love with the Rose character only to have her do absolutely nothing in The Rise of Skywalker and to bring in Charlie from Lost to take away some of her lines for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. Real shame. Matt, what is your uh, final pick here? My final pick is um, a character as well. Uh, this is one, again, I don't know. I, I didn't look up if there was a lot of information in the old extended universe. Um, but uh, Nia Nub is a character that comes literally out of nowhere, helps save the entire galaxy by co-piloting with Lando, who I guess he knows. I don't know. Maybe. Um, (laughs) I don't. um, But, you know, is a hero of the rebellion, even though we see him on screen for about four minutes. Um, But again, having such a major moment on a random character just feels weird. I would love to know more about him. Is he a famous pilot? Are there stories? Is there a reason he is involved in this mission at all? Um, Again, I am confident that there must have been lots back in the day, Um, but now he just kind of exists as this weird island of a creepy-looking character with one of the weirdest laughs in star wars so does doesn't he return for the the sequel trilogy too yeah he he is he i don't know if he dies he might die i know akbar dies and i feel like i probably yeah. am confusing neob nub and akbar in terms of their survival mm. yeah but we do see him uh solo piloting in uh in in the in the sequel yeah um, is it the Force Awakens he's in, or I don't remember. Ooh, I, can't remember. I think I mean, he's in. yeah. I, I vaguely remember him being in the Force Awakens, but I could totally be making that up. Yeah, he might be. I'm trying to think who did no. Um, Elo Nasty dies in that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did. <laughs> again, any alien character just bites the bullet in the Star Wars universe, unless you're, you know, a Wookiee. Yeah. So, <laughs> the odds are they just snuffed him out, but that's all right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, I don't even know. Yeah. That. That's. That's. A, that's an excellent point. Um, <laughs> I feel like Return of the Jedi is when they decided they just needed more aliens everywhere, <laughs> yeah. and so you get characters that in previous films would have just been humanoid characters, but you know, uh, you get Akbar, you get Neob Nub. You get, um, you know, the the Max Rebo band. You get yeah, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, a slew of prostitutes in Jabba's <laughs> palace. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to give shout-outs to the two. I had thought that one of the next two things I'm going to say would have been taken by you guys. So I had them on my mm. list initially, but I, I thought they'd be, they'd be taken, so I didn't. I, I prepared otherwise. And I feel like the other ones I talked about are a little bit more interesting. But I thought you guys would have mentioned uh, Chirrut and Baze from uh, Rogue One, the sort of the guardian of the will and his protector. Uh, I love those characters. And, they, yes. and there's a lot there. But I'm sure 
I have read one book about them that was that was not fantastic, but I'm sure <laughs> that is a a set of characters that we'll get more from one day. I'm that shocked is... you read a Star Wars book that wasn't fantastic, Brian. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Cinemore. Um, the other one was uh, the aforementioned Max Rebo Band. I think it'd be really <laughs> funny to have like a uh, <laughs> a book about like. The, the torrid backstory, the groupies, the drugs. The, yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. Max yeah. Rebo band behind the music. Ooh, behind the music. Behind the music, yeah. Uh, just, just... Yeah. It... <laughs> yeah, it, again, just so weird. The Mac, for the Max Rebo band, they sang the song Jedi Rocks, but stardom didn't always rock for the Max Rebo band. <laughs> just, <laughs> something, something like that, you know, I, I would love yep, that. Yep, Um but what I'm going to go with is an idea that was um, briefly mentioned in The Force Awakens and then expanded upon in The Last Jedi, one of the few things that really connects both of those movies. And that is, I would like to see, specifically this, and I want to see animated, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. I want to see a Luke's Jedi Temple series. I want to see when Luke decided to start training Jedi's again and you know what sort of what that entails because when we see Jedi training in the prequels it looks like basically a boarding school right there there there's there's like relatively posh um settings for them to be learning they have all this technology and these like hundreds of Jedi who are there to help them achieve their goals it seems to me like Luke's is essentially like Boy Scout survival camp, you <laughs> yeah. know, with Counselor Luke there. And so I think there's a lot of interesting stories to tell sort of him. Like, he can't train them the way that Obi-Wan was trained. And also, he wouldn't know how they were trained because he mm-hmm. wasn't trained that way. And so how does he split the difference between trying to establish a school when he was trained by, you know, two old guys, essentially. I also think it would be great to see a little bit of Ben Solo before he starts being pulled to the dark side. Mm -hmm. We may get some interesting moments with folks who become the Knights of Ren, because God knows we don't get any interesting moments with them as the Knights of Ren in the film, so maybe that would be able to give them a little (laughs) bit more of something. Uh, You know, so there are... I think there's a lot of fun stories that could be told in Luke's Jedi Temple. I also love the idea of like Luke bringing in Lando for a lesson about something, <laughs> or Luke <laughs> bringing in Chewbacca to be like the guest instructor for a week. Like, mm-hmm. here's how to pull someone's arm out of their socket, Chewbacca, and then you know <laughs> Chewbacca teaches them to do that. I think that could be a very fun way to tell some some stories of characters that we know but also to get the idea of what Luke thinks is important about being a Jedi. Because by the time Rey gets there, we, we you realize that he has totally changed his opinion about the Jedi. And so it's interesting. We see him enthusiastically embrace being a Jedi in Return of the Jedi. When we, last, when we next get to spend real time with him in The Last Jedi, he's totally rejecting the idea. So I want to see what happens in between the, um, the embrace and the, and the rejection. Mm. Yeah, that it's really interesting of the idea of Luke not having any of the I mean, we see him with the the ancient texts or whatever, but not right. really um, having the guidance of 
you know, the old Jedi way to set up the new school. Because I was thinking about even the way that Obi-Wan trains him is not the way a Jedi would train or Yoda. I guess a lot of his retconned later on um, to a more formalized training. Um, But yeah, seeing that kind of him trying to figure out how to teach when he doesn't even necessarily know himself. So, I mean, those are fantastic stories that I read as a kid about the old yep. version that then got went off the rails with, you know, the solo twins. Um, but to see a new version of that would be fantastic. I would love to see a series about that. I also think that maybe this is an opportunity to sort of clean up some of the force ghost stuff. Like could Yoda be an instructor at this school? Well, yeah, that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing too. That's what the, um, I don't know if you've read any of the you know like Jedi handbook that came out last year. I have not. Uh, there there's a book that makes it very clear that Luke has been communicating with um not only the ghosts of Yoda and Obi-Wan but also Qui-Gon Jinn, also um uh some of the other ones uh I don't know a, he writes about Ahsoka, he writes about um the other Jedi that we see that he never actually would have a chance to meet in person. So, yeah, maybe explaining the who turns into a ghost and why would be helpful, but also just kind of watching those relationships would be an interesting part, too. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. What's amazing is that for a series that has so many novels and so many short stories and TV shows and all that, we are we still have lots of ideas here and i think we only scraped the surface here and i think while each of us probably indulged in something that maybe the average fan wouldn't be as enthusiastic about i feel like there's just such a wide open landscape for star wars mm-hmm. that it's it's fun to think about sort of what what could be it is fun to think about i think there's... it's just, I, and i think sorry to cut you off liz i think that seeing things like the mandalorian has shown us that 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 not only is there an appetite for these stories, but when they are done well, even though they are minor stories, they can still entrance the general Star Wars public. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and they can be about minor characters. I think I'm just going to reiterate what you said, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> they just have to be done well. That's that's the main point. Just done well. Yeah. One thing the thing is too it it may seem counterintuitive but the more minor of a character that you get the more open you are not needing to know everything that's gone on in the Star Wars story beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like the the Clone Wars is a little tough to get into because it's such a deep storyline but if you were just watching the Max Rebo band, you know, go hut venue to hut venue, you wouldn't need to know anything going into that. It's far more accessible um, than some of the other stuff. So I I think that's a, that's a strength of it, honestly. Yeah. I I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the Mandalorian impacts star Wars going forward. Because, Yes, we've seen a few characters show up that we were vaguely aware of, but that entire first season 
is there any character we really knew beforehand? Mm. And we, we knew that there were IG droids. We knew that there yeah. were Mandalorians, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we knew there were Ugnaughts and stuff like that, but <laughs> yeah. it, it was all new characters. Yeah, not, not actual characters themselves, yeah. And mm. it took place during a time which is between movies. It's not like you're, you're going to see Luke show up, right? So people mm -hmm. are watching it not for the original trilogy characters. They're watching it because it's just good Star Wars. Yeah. 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 And there are just so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's that that's the thing that's always so frustrating is like just make good movies, make good TV shows, make good books. You don't have to check certain marks. You don't have to have a certain amount of references and nonsense in it that I think a lot of times Star Wars gets bogged down by. Mm -hmm. But just just make good stuff. Set it in a Star Wars universe, and people will eat it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for this. This was a lot of fun. Um, we have so much to do coming up. We have next week. We have the new holiday special, the Lego holiday special, Ooh, coming out. Uh, we, we have the the book to talk about. We're gonna. We got. We got so much going on. So much going on. So stay tuned for all of that. And, um, you know, go to multiversitycomics.com for lots of Star Wars stuff and lots of other general comic stuff. Um, stay safe, wear a mask, and remember, the Force will be with you.